Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and joining me on the other side of town is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. How you doing today, Cecil? Pretty good, Richie. What's going on? Not much, not much, man. Anything new? So actually, I've been playing with this new app on my phone called Overcast. It's a it's a podcasting app. So typically, I used to use the default one that comes with your iPhone. So I decided to check this one out, and I actually, actually kind of like it. It has recommendations. You can create playlists. You got a little bit more control over your downloads. Um, it's, it's actually pretty cool. So I think I'm going to hang on for it for a little bit and, and, and see how it goes. But the real question is... Is away from the keyboard on there. Well, of course, that's the first thing I look for when I downloaded the app. Because if not, then it would have been uninstall, click. <laughs> then it must be the best app ever. It must be the best app the ever. So again, download the app and look for our show. And, you know, let us know what you think about it. So what you've been doing, Richard? So I've been hacking some Ikea, as one does. Ikea hacks? That sounds interesting. Yeah. So I've built a bench with cabinets underneath it for our library slash den area. It was really interesting. So I just took two kitchen cabinets, threw some legs on them, and then I threw a wooden countertop that I obviously IKEA sells, screwed that in there. Then I started doing a whole bunch of sanding and uh, staining and sanding and restaining. <laughs> and hopefully in the next day or two, I'll be able to put some the, the final clear coat on it and we'll have a new bench with cabinet space in our library area. That actually sounds like an interesting story. You should put up some pictures of, of your handiwork so we could you know, critique you a little bit. Yeah, I've already put some stuff on Twitter and on Instagram. And I think that the, the difference is for me is you know, day in and day out, we're in front of a keyboard. We're just typing away using our brain matter. Yeah. And I'm actually using my hands to actually build something here. And it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun over the last week to to go and do that, even with me messing things up a bit. But uh, you know, you live and you learn, and um, it, you just kind of move on. But it's been a lot of fun nice. to actually go and build something with your hands, as opposed to software, which made your brain bleed out of your ears. Uh, so I've never bled out of my ears writing software, but um, you're doing it wrong. I, apparently, I am. But apparently, I'm a lot healthier than you are. Because- <laughs> <laughs> That's not happening to me. But speaking about t- software and technology in general, this week is actually the Miami Tech Week. You know, it goes from Sunday to Saturday, and it's a whole week of events around startups and hackathons. You know, a lot of people are pitching ideas for their new companies, and all that types of stuff is going on. This Thursday, uh, we're actually going to have a Jim McKelvey. He is the founder of the co-founder of Square. If you know Square, it's the payment processing um, startup that's been around for a couple of years now. So Jim will be here. He'll be talking to us about computer programming, creative problem solving, and uh, tech entrepreneurship. So I think that'll be pretty cool. It'll be at the MDC um, Idea Center in Miami-Dade College. So Richie, what do you got uh, going on? So coming up soon is the South Florida Code Camp. South Florida Code Camp is one of the largest code camps in the nation. We're at, I think last year we were 1,100 people uh, attending South Florida Code Camp. The call for speakers and sponsors are out now. So if you would like to speak at South Florida Code Camp, you can go to SouthFloridaCodeCamp.com and register as a speaker and submit your, your abstract. If you're willing to wanting to attend South Florida Code Camp, 
you could do the same thing, SouthFloridaCodeCamp.com, and you could sign up as a uh, attendee. Uh, South Florida Code Camp is actually our Super Bowl of the South Florida tech scene. Lots of different speakers on practically any coding topic you can think of. It's there. It's in there. It's a great time of year because it's 75 degrees in February. And maybe when you're listening to right now, it may be snowing in February. And that would be terrible. So come on down and uh, we'd love to see you at the South Florida Code Camp. Yes, sir. So today... We'll be talking to Mr. Joel Martinez. So Joel is a software engineer at Xamarin. He's also the founder of the Orlando.net user group and an author of several programming books. Joel's also a functional programming enthusiast. Joel's excited about data science, machine learning, the simplification of hardware, hacking, and also connectivity. You can find out more about Joel on Twitter at Joel Martinez and on his blog, CodeCube.net. This episode was recorded on October 22nd. Feature conversation. And now, our conversation with Joel Martinez. So me and Richie have actually gone to Orlando Code Camp, and you know, we've, mm-hmm. we know a lot of the guys from, um, from OneTug, right, from the Orlando.net user group. Sure. But until I met you the other day down here in, um, for, for Dev Days, I had no idea that you were actually the founder. <laughs> so, I, and I, I, I thought that was you know, just totally coincidental and, and pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, do you mind telling us a little bit about the story of, of how you even started the group and, and you know, what was that like for you, you know, building up a community from essentially from scratch, right? Right, yeah. You know, for me, it was a pretty early in my career, right? So this is back in 2001. Uh, and I had been, I'd been programming professionally for one to two years, maybe three years, something like that. All of a sudden, Microsoft comes out with this new technology. They announce, you know, this .NET framework with a new, you know, hot new language, C Sharp. And at the time, I was doing a lot of classic ASP and VBScript and things like that. And I just got really excited about this new technology. And so, you know, I started looking into it. I start, you know, I was, uh, I was on the news groups all the time, uh, you know, talking with other people in that, you know, then burgeoning community. And, and I I really started to try to learn about it, but that wasn't really technology that we were using at work, right? And so I'd bother my boss and, and the other guys that I worked with, and I'd be like, hey, this C-sharp stuff is cool. And, you know, they weren't really interested in it at the time. And so I I really just kind of had this vacuum of, of, of people that to talk to uh, about this new technology. And so I, I started looking out and seeing who else was out there. And of course, you know, back then the uh, community wasn't quite as robust as it is today in Orlando. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, uh, luckily, there was somebody that had set up this website, dnug.net, so .net, usergroup.net, and they made it really easy to just kind of, you know, make an account and just sort of register your own group. And so I did that. You know, I, I looked on there. There wasn't a group in Orlando, and and so I registered one. And lo and behold, after, you know, some time, people started signing up. And after a while, I just said, hey, guys, you know, should we meet? And I think there was about seven of us that met, uh, you know, we met, we met in a, uh, just a local barbecue, uh, barbecue joint. So from there, you know, it was awesome to, to have other people that kind of shared my same interests at the time. It was a pretty, pretty diverse group, you know, a lot of people with a lot of different experiences. So that was really awesome for me. You know, again, I was, I was still relatively new in my career and, you know, just kind of over time, people stepped up and they were like, Hey, you know, can we have a meeting about this? Can we have a meeting about that? And just over time, it, it really snowballed in the beginning, you know, uh, after we'd had a couple of meetings and I knew, and it, you know, and I could see that there was definitely some interest. A lot of times I would have to kind of do the presentation myself because, you know, there, there just wasn't a lot of people, but eventually people started stepping up and I was like, Hey, you know, can I do a presentation on this? 
And, you know, Orlando's a pretty big venue for for different big conferences like VS Live and sort of at that scale. And so conferences would come in and, and you know, all of a sudden I had these contacts at Microsoft and they'd be like, hey, people are going to be in town. One year we had the, the C-Sharp team roll by and just kind of talk to the group just because they happened to be in town for a big conference. It was really awesome. For me, when I started looking at user groups and getting involved in the developer community in general, I had Twitter, I had meetup.com. I had social media. Yeah, yeah. So I can imagine when you first started OneTug that yeah. you, know, you didn't have this. So, so how did you really were able to find people and reach out to them and let them know that this thing was going on? Well, really, the, the, the basis of that, at least at the beginning, really was the mailing list, right? So I made a very simple little form. I would get their email address. I'd put it in, in, the, in this little database. And we made a form where people could sign up to the mailing list. And, you know, of course, in those early days, it was very rough. I was taking email and just kind of like putting them into like this big BCC list and, you know, just sending out the emails about meetings and everything. And uh, this was, of course, you know, like you said, before meetup.com and all that. And we really just kind of bootstrapped it, worked with what we had, with the technology we had at the time. Not to make it sound like it was uh, the, the Stone Ages or anything, but we definitely made do. We we networked a lot. We we spoke to anybody we could. We made a lot of contacts with uh, recruiters and uh local training agencies and uh, UCF has a big uh, CS department here. And so we had some contacts there. And so students would come to the meetings. And so that just really kept growing from there. And it kind of grew from word, uh, word of mouth. How involved are you still with the community over there? Officially, uh, I ran the group from about 2001 to 2005. And, you know, one of the things uh, is kind of funny because we had we had the 10 year anniversary of, of Orlando Code Camp. And it's, you know, it's been, I mean, what, 14 years of uh, one tug. And, and I kind of gave a little talk at the keynote of, of CodeCamp. And and one of the things I talked about was uh, that people kept stepping up, right? If it was just me, that that group probably would have folded a long time ago because you know, things get in the way, you know, family, friends, you know, life just gets in the way. And so thankfully, uh, one of the things that I think went really right uh, early on is that uh, a sort of core group coalesced, you know, people that, you know, we'd We'd have me. Uh, we'd meet up for lunch every Friday, and you know, people were just like, "Hey, how can I help?" And that just ended up working out really well. And <clears throat> eventually, I just kind of like like it got to a point where I was I was I was really busy at work, and there was a really great board that had come together. I had a great, uh, you know, vice president, director of marketing, etc., and. I just saw that there was this huge potential and I was busy at the time. So I just said, hey, you know what? I've been running the group for, I don't know, four or five years at that point. And so I told my vice president, Sean, I was like, hey, why don't you take it? Why don't you run with it? Uh, and of course he did. He, he, he was really one of the driving forces behind uh, Code Camp. And he did a great job, uh, as did all of the subsequent presidents since. One of the things that I always tell people I meet in the community and, and even my students is, is how important it is for you to get involved and, you know, go and meet people and network and just get involved in general. Could you talk about how, you know, being a part of this group and building it up and watching it grow contributed to, to your career and what did it do for you as a developer in general? Oh, sure. Well, yeah. So I can talk about this in, in sort of two categories. So on the one hand, obviously, I met a ton of people, right? So uh, I was forced to go up, speak in front of 40, 50, 60 people every every month. I was forced to, to sort of organize and, and, and put on these events. So I learned a lot from that perspective. I met a lot of people that people I went on to work with and 
people uh, that that went on to work with each other. So from that perspective, you know, from the networking perspective, it's been it's been immensely valuable for my career. From the other perspective, and I almost think this is in some ways much more valuable uh, when you put yourself in a position where you have to teach people or, or, or present something to people. It's kind of a forcing function to make you learn that topic a lot better. Uh, in a lot of cases, I, I was working with, with, with different parts of, say, the .NET framework that I wasn't using at work, right, for example. And so I, I, the fact that I had a presentation coming up that I'd have to talk to the group about it made me dig into the documentation, you know, make some samples, work on this presentation, and just really get a much deeper and wider understanding of, of, of this area. I, I noticed also that it looks like, you know, you have a couple of books under your belt. I mean, do you think, again, being exposed to this community and, and kind of being able to ramp up your skills kind of assisted you to, to get in these opportunities that now you could say, hey, I've written books on ASP.net, I've written books on C Sharp and, and et cetera? Oh, yeah, for sure. So that that uh, that whole thing, you know, I was, I was, I was very lucky uh, to have the opportunity to uh, contribute to those projects. Uh, so early on, you know, my, my first sort of, you know, you know, professional programming job I had. My boss at the time, his, his name was Ray West. He he was actually a really great mentor. He he was an author himself, and he he was actually really active in the online community uh, himself, right? So like he had a uh, really popular website where he would talk about you know things like Dreamweaver and and, and web development and stuff like that. And uh, you know, of course, he 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 wrote books and everything. And so by sort of working closely with him, I sort of picked that up early on, right? So. Uh, I was always very active on on the news groups. Of course, news groups were were real big back then. And through that sort of you know community activism and the work that I did at OneTug to kind of get up on these technologies, uh, it kind of put me in a position where when when uh, publishers went and and they said, hey, we want to write a book on this new technology. Who in the community is you know available? Uh, it was kind of perfect place, perfect time. So really, it's. You know, another example of how getting out there in the community, you know, will sort of open doors. What are some of the things that, you know, that really got you excited and interested in, in technology right now? Uh, right now, hmm. some of the things that I'm really excited about, and this is really kind of like almost more more forward looking. I'm really excited about a lot of the things that's happening with, I guess the most common name for it is uh, Internet of Things. There's a lot of really exciting uh, lowering of barriers to entry uh, in that field, right? Because uh, these days, it's getting easier and easier to just kind of buy a couple of off-the-shelf off components, plug them together, and all of a sudden, you're you know you're doing signal processing from sensor data. I think that's uh, that's extremely exciting. I think we've mentioned on a couple of shows before that I am very terrified of Internet of Things. Oh yeah, why is that? <laughs> you know, I, I, it's an irrational fear. It's okay. a very it's a very irrational fear. It's obviously nothing serious or concrete, right? But I, I can just imagine the day that my fridge and my oven start to talk to each other over the network. You know, then you call my doctor. You know, I just, uh, you know, yeah, this, this yeah. too much, too much chatter, man. I don't, I don't want them talking to each other. I don't want my, I don't want my home to be too connected. Yeah, no, you know what, you know what? There's definitely, there's definitely the uh, opportunity for, uh, you know, malfeasance there. But um, there's this great picture that has gone. It's kind of made the rounds uh, in 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 the sort of business and marketing world. Uh, it's this great picture. It's it's the picture of little Mario, right? The the, the old Super Mario eight bit guy, a plus sign and the fire flower, right? And then equals, you know, obviously big fire Mario. And it's kind of like the saying behind that that particular meme is that Mario's the user. The fire flower is the product that you make, but the product that you that you market for is is you know you tell people, hey, if you use our product, you're going to be awesome, right? 
And so I think I think the things uh, eventually that the Internet of Things is really going to bring to us are going to be things that augment us, right? So just having an Internet of Things for data collection and everything, that's that's ultimately not useful. And products like that aren't going to catch on, right? People are going to try it. They're going to be like, oh, we're going to get all this, all these great analytics from our users so we know how long they, how many times they wash their clothes. But ultimately, that's, that's not really going to resonate with the users. The things that are going to resonate with the users are devices and services that will, will make their life better. So tell me, Joel, have you, have you played with any of the, you know, any of the circuit boards, any of the Raspberry Pis or Arduinos or anything like that? Briefly, briefly, yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've definitely got a couple of Arduinos and I've done some of the little sample sketches and things like that. For me as a software guy, uh, because electrical engineering is, is specifically not my background, uh, I definitely find that uh, that side of sort of hardware hacking is, is where my weakness lies, right? So, you know, I've, I've, I've sort of got the basics of, of electrical circuits down and things like that. Uh, but there's definitely a skill set there that is unique uh, and differentiated from software. My uncle used to, to fix TVs. And, you know, I, I, I'd see him with his, his little soldering iron sometimes in the back of the TV. And I'm like, I, have, I don't know what you're doing. And he's unscrewing bulbs and he's doing all this stuff. And to me, it's like black magic. <laughs> but it was also so interesting because I was always like one of those kids. And yeah. you always wanted to pull things apart. And you wanted to open it up and see what it was. Sure, sure. I used to have like one of those big black and white Game Boys. That's awesome. And unscrew it and look at the back of it. And of course, my dad would get mad. He's like, what in the world are you doing? Like, I just paid, you know, <laughs> I just bought you this game and you're like, no, I'm tearing it apart. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that natural curiosity, I think, is one of the things that's driving this maker movement. Yes. Right? Like this, this natural curiosity to see, just understand how things work. You know, obviously for us, it was more of let's just get the screwdriver and open it. But now today, like we have the ability to have these circuit boards and these essentially these these kits, right, that everybody yeah. can get and, and experiment in a, you know, in, in more of a, like a controlled environment. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but it's uh, it's also the communication technology that's getting easier. Right. So uh, just being able to make a little sort of electrical circuit uh, connected to a to a servo and things like that. Uh, that's that's not exactly new necessarily, right? I mean, like the the the, the RC hobby community has had, uh, you know, servos for ages and 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 different little machines. Uh, but I think where it's really getting exciting is in the interconnectivity uh, and wireless specifically. So you've got things like Bluetooth low energy, really making it easy for for all these disparate systems to start talking to each other. Um, so what are some of the things that you do, like outside of technology? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, I've played music since uh, since since I was in uh, well, middle school. Oh, really? Uh, uh, guitar? So, yeah, uh, guitar and uh, more recently drums. Nice. Uh, that's really fun, although I definitely don't do that as uh, often as I'd like. Were you in a band or anything like that? Uh, in, in, in high school, yeah. But really, my performing days, I guess you could say, are behind me. For oh. now, for now. For now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, you know, aside from that, on a motorcycle, I like riding around. Pretty fun. It's a Harley Sportster. In the last, uh, I don't know what, year and a half, two years, something like that, I actually picked up uh, boxing and oh. rock climbing. Yeah, that's been pretty exciting. So tell me about the boxing. Like, do you, so do you have a gym, I guess, that you go to or do you have regular classes or do you kind of just go and just go in and hit the bag? Uh, there's a great gym that I go to. It's called Gym Rat Boxing. It's awesome, right? Because it's, it's an actual gym where, where, you know, real boxers train. I usually go to the boxing group classes and, you know, there's, there's, there's people of all skill levels there. 
And, you know, of course, when I when I first started going, I was basically leaving, basically drained. Right. I would uh, by the end of the workout, I would kind of go to push the door open uh, the door to uh, to the gym to leave. And I had trouble pushing the door open. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of over time, you uh, you definitely start to see progress. It's really exciting. So I actually go to I go to gym at a university, and one of the things they have is a punching bag, and nice. And so I kind of worked that into to my cardio workout a little bit. You know, when you first start, it's it's not bad, but that's not something to play around with, man. Like you start to sweat yeah. really quickly. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I uh, I kind of knew going into it, right? I mean, I. I I always had a respect for boxers and, and, you know, obviously they're in great shape and all that, but you almost don't really appreciate how difficult punching is. <laughs> it is so incredibly tiring and, and just physically draining. It's, it's almost counterintuitive. <laughs> so what led you into, into boxing? I mean, what was it that, that got you to say, hey, maybe I could punch something and uh, get a workout? Well, uh, I mean, over the years, I'd kind of, you know, tried to do the the gym thing, right? I, I, you know, would have a would have a gym membership. I'd go in, I'd kind of move some metal around, and I, I guess ultimately, I, I have a hard time pushing myself sometimes. Uh, so I'd go in and I and I do a workout, and I'd be like, oh, that was totally a great workout, but like I barely sweat, right? And so I, I kind of knew that if I would go into a to a boxing gym and and sort of put myself in that situation where somebody's telling me. When the bell rings and you have a three-minute round, you can't stop, right? You you have no choice but to figure out how to pace yourself and just make it until that bell rings. Oh, and by the way, when the bell rings for your one-minute rest, uh, you know, you're doing sit-ups for a minute, and that's your rest. But I think one of the reasons I got into it was because I hate the treadmill. Mm -hmm. For me, I think that just being able to move around and you're engaging with something, right? Right. It's it's a lot more it's a lot more mentally stimulating for you. Yeah, and particularly if you have headphones on and you're listening to music and you're kind of just going around and you're kind of you're, you're in your head a little bit, mm -hmm. you really lose track of time, which for me is one of the best things you could do when you're you're doing cardio. I yep, totally agree. I know some people do that when you go, you know, they go running on the road, whatever it is that you're thinking about at the time, and you don't realize how long you've been running for because now your mind is not focused on how long I'm going to run or how fast I'm going to go. Exactly. But now I think like, your your mind kind of just takes away the the pressure, right? Like yeah. you don't feel as tired. You know, for some reason the sun doesn't feel as hot. <laughs> you know, you go a lot more. You go you go a lot longer. Yeah, and you get well, a more effective workout. Yeah, and so I, let me just cut in real quick, please. If you're if you're thinking about running on the road and having headphones on, please don't do that. <laughs> that that that's a that's a problem. <laughs> we don't want you to get run over by a car. So. Disclaimer, Please don't do that. Disclaimer. Yes. <laughs> okay. Oh man. Yeah. It's it's uh you know ultimately what it boils down to is 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 it's really just kind of another form of sort of mindful meditation, right? You know, a way for you to just get your mind to to shut up in spite of itself. Uh, and I think that's you know a lot of people talk about uh, you know just just all these feelings of of you know, elation and that, you know, uh, and everything while they're running. Yeah. For me, it's so, it's, it's so interesting how powerful the mind is when you're yeah. doing things like that and, and how you can kind of just disconnect from, from time. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, it, it's funny you mentioned that cause actually it's been, it's in, it's been something that I've been sort of, uh, uh, I don't know if struggling is the right word, uh, but something that I've been working through, uh, at the gym, uh, in the last couple of weeks, I mentioned in, in the beginning, obviously, uh, 
like it was very taxing and and you know like even getting through one one hour session was was pretty tough and you know of course your your cardiovascular improvement improves and recently i've kind of found myself that that i went a couple of sessions and you know of course i get tired and everything but i wouldn't really like i wasn't really getting the same out of it right and i realized that you kind of get to a certain point where you know your body develops and you have to actively push yourself like you actually have to say, all right, you can go further, you can go faster, you can punch stronger. By default, you know, your, your, your brain and your body is just, is just perfectly content not taking it past a certain level. And you really have to, it's all about the mind. No, you're completely right. It's so easy to get comfortable with whatever level you happen to be on. You know, it's one of the reasons why I try to set goals. Sometimes I, I do it a little subconsciously. So one of the things we do, for instance, is like Warrior Dash or Spart- the Spartan races, you know, like mm. those obstacle races. Yeah, so, yeah. When I, so when I'm getting ready to, to do one of those, mentally I'll say I, I want to be able to get up to, to this point, right, in the workout. Mm-hmm. And and so let's say let's say I'm, I'm lifting, right, and I'll say, okay, I'm, I'm doing 40s today. Next week I'm going to jump up to 45 and 50s. Mm. Throughout that week I'm lifting 40s and I'm thinking about doing 50s. <laughs> right. And so when Sunday hits, like Sunday resets my week, I hit Sunday. I'm like, well, bye bye 40s. I'm not going to see you again for a while. <laughs> right. Yeah, you go to the 50 and it, it sucks. But for the rest of the week, like that's what you're doing. Yeah. And by Friday, you know, obviously, as long as you're consistent with it, by Friday or Saturday, obviously, your body starts to adjust to it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Friday is not as bad as Monday was. Yeah. You know what? Uh, uh, noticing noticing that adjustment period has been one of the craziest you know, feelings, you know, and of course that goes in both directions, right? So, so noticing as you start adjusting and, you know, not getting sore, uh, and things of that nature, but then also in the other direction, right? So like, you know, there's, there's been a couple of times where I had to take, uh, you know, a couple of weeks off and things like that for, for, for example, an Achilles tendon injury. And when you come back, right, you know, you knew what level you were at before and, and you realize that your body has adjusted in the opposite direction, right? You're like, holy crap, I used to be able to do this and now I got to build back up to it. As far as, as far as motivation goes, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it'll help what I like to tell my kids, right? That, uh, they have to be ready for the zombie apocalypse, <laughs> <laughs> right? And so, you know, like in the case of boxing, right? Like you have to be ready to fight the zombies off, right? Like if, if they get too close, you got to be able to get away. Um, uh, along with, you know, having your cardiovascular level up to a point where, you know, you can run away if you have to, things of that nature. Uh, and also in the case of climbing, right, you know, sometimes you're running away from the zombies. Maybe there's a building or a fence, you know, you got to climb over it. Uh, and so that's 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 uh, the motivation that I give my kids for uh, getting out and staying active. So let me ask you, do you ever, have you ever gone to the, the, the zombie runs in Orlando? I have not. I have not. But, uh, you know, running, <laughs> running has... I'll put it this way. Up, on, up until I started boxing, I literally couldn't run a quarter mile without stopping, which is pretty sad. And it's definitely getting better. But uh, running has definitely never been a forte of mine. <laughs> when I run, I prefer to run intervals, right? Okay. So I'm, I'm not. So if I need to do a, a five mile run, I'm not doing five miles straight, right? So it's usually like a. I'll do intervals where it's three minutes and then walk one, or you know, run five minutes and then walk one and then I could control my pace nice. um, and, and then it gives my body a little bit of time to rest so I'm just not pushing 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 and then I've got you know a great first mile and the other two or four miles are just garbage <laughs> where I could actually it, I, I do a better job pacing myself right. if I know that hey if I, I know a break's coming up in in one minute I'm, I'm gonna hold back and then 
try to keep uh, a better a better pace. I just find that it works better for my body if I do the interval thing. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Hey, you know what? If you're doing three minute intervals, one a minute rest, you're already ready for boxing, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, there you go. So, Joel, I know you're currently working at, at Xamarin, right? Are you still in Orlando, or did you did you have to end up moving to Boston or anything? Like, how is how's how's that been for you? Uh, no, I yeah, I'm I'm, I'm still here in Orlando. Uh, I uh, thankfully get to work uh, with the documentation team. I'm a software engineer with with the documentation team, and so I uh, Xamarin has this uh, amazing team of writers. But it's awesome because uh, they're probably one of the more distributed organizations in uh, in the company, right? We've got people uh, all over the world uh, and definitely all over the country. And so working remotely with the docs team was was just sort of a natural natural thing. I think the fact that you know Xamarin, a lot of the people in Xamarin, you know, come from sort of working uh, on the Mono project and things like that. The fact that it was this you know massively distributed big open source project, I think, really fed into the DNA of the company. And so. Uh, the company just works really well with uh, remote people. So what are some of the, the tools that you use as a remote worker to, to really help interact with your team? Uh, as you might imagine, we keep all our source control in uh, Git, you know, GitHub, things like that. Um, we use Slack for communication, and it was IRC before that, you know, things like that. That's that's really the bulk. Thankfully, Xamarin is, is, is a very email-light culture, uh, and so, thankfully, they they don't send a lot of emails uh, in Xamarin. You know, we we, uh, we communicate through through bug reports, pull review. A lot of that stuff works really well. And uh, this is going to sound kind of silly, but I think one of the biggest tools that makes remote work a viable thing is typing fast. It's not exactly you know a software tool made by somebody else. It's something that you have to bring to the table. I've worked with people. Uh, you know, you're talking to them on chat on on Skype or you know whatever else. Uh, and all these tools, you know, say, oh, you know, the other person is typing, right? So I'll I'll blast out a question or a response or whatever, and then it's like, you know, X is typing. And it's like, okay, ready, go, come on. <laughs> and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're yeah. waiting. Yeah. Right. Right. And so it's great to work with uh, with other people that type fast. Yeah, that actually happened to me uh, this morning. We had a, a problem with one of our solar instances mm -hmm. where um, I went up and I created um, with one of the ops guys. I created a, 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 a Slack channel, a private channel, another one of the developers. We all kind of got in and we're, everybody was kind of waiting for someone to type. And it's like... <laughs> Come on, <laughs> you, know, it's, you know. Luckily, the problem wasn't too complex, so we had yeah. it. But it was like, oh, so you know, and you get that kind of awkward. Okay, who's, you know, who's doing what? But it's it's great when you you got someone on the other line, and it's like, you know, they're attentive, they're ready to go. They, we're all working on the same issue, exactly. And nobody's multitasking, and and you're waiting for someone to come back, and it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like production problem. Hello. Yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 you know. Thankfully, uh, there are times when we do get face-to-face, -face, right? So, like, we use video a lot uh, when it's uh, smaller between, you know, uh, a smaller group of people, right? So, uh, uh, if I ever need to just kind of chat with somebody uh, and it's, it's, it's a little bit more involved of a, of a conversation than, than chat would really be helpful for, uh, I, just, I just fire up a Google Hangout and we, and, and we chat face-to-face. -face. That's also really useful. Yeah, I, I wish um, we used video more in, in at our organization. I, I the interesting thing really about that is, you know, if we can't can't get a decent audio connection over over the computer, mm -hmm. then there's no way in heck that I'm going to be able to get a decent video connection yeah. <laughs> over someone's crappy webcam. You know? Yeah. You know what? I'll say I'll 
I'll definitely say that that's, uh, I guess, one of the biggest drawbacks of remote work. Uh, a lot of times you're, you're, you're at the mercy of whatever infrastructure you're sitting in, right? So yeah, I think I think the other half of that is you know you need good quality hardware and uh, the microphone that comes with your computer isn't going to give you good audio. Absolutely I mean, not. Yeah, it, you're going to capture everything that goes around you. But my setup, I have kids at home or at our homeschooled, mm-hmm. and they're running around. They're doing their classes. They're they're doing piano. They're doing all this stuff in the back. And I'm on a conference call mm. now. I could hear them. But nobody around me can hear them because my audio equipment is pretty decent, right? I mean, it's it's a semi-pro level, and I've got it to the point to where, hey, you've got to be really speaking directly into the mic for it nice. to come across. And that's been a, a really an awesome thing to have. It really goes back to, to sort of the age-old thing that uh, it definitely pays off, right? There's, there's that value proposition of really investing in, in developer tools, right? So if you're remote, having... Having a good internet, having a good uh, you know Wi-Fi, having a good like uh, uh, like you're saying audio uh, situation going, a good desk, a good uh, chair uh, is really something that 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 just pays off in spades. So, Joel, since you're still in Orlando, how excited are you that Xamarin Evolve is going to be in Orlando next year? Uh, you know what? I got to tell you, I'm pretty excited. It's uh, pretty convenient for me. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine, right? Like it's right in your backyard. Yeah, well, and it's really just kind of a uh, a continuing validation of a lot of the things that Orlando has to offer. And, and, you know, of course, one of those things is this great conference venue sort of stock, right? We've got we've got a ton of conference venues here. Uh, and so from a from a technology company standpoint, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense, right? Because you can have this great conference uh, in Orlando with 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 all these great venues and it can in certain cases make it even more appealing to people attending this event because they can be like, oh, well, you know what, if I'm going to take the time to make the trip and, you know, go out to Orlando, uh, I, you know, I can sort of double up, right, and take an extra time off before or after, bring their family along, and then they go to Disney Universe or whatever. Yeah, so I think uh, I think that really works out. Yeah, I went to Evolve 2014. The one in 2014 was was also the first one that I went to. And I got to tell you, that was that was an insane event. Uh, oh, in Atlanta? Yeah, Atlanta was yeah. awesome, man. Tell me what you thought of the of the uh, the Darwin room. Oh, I love the Darwin room. I skipped lunch to go sit in the Darwin room. Nice. Wait, 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 is that Darwin and Dolphin from Sequest DSV? Oh, nice reference. Nice reference. Boom! Drop that. <laughs> oh man, no, well, no, no. So, so, so the idea with Darwin is that. So I don't know to what degree you know, but uh, Xamarin, uh, the name. Uh, if you look, if you look at the history of uh, both both our company and the companies that came before it, uh, it all started with uh, the Mono framework. And and the company that you know Miguel and Nat and those guys uh, started at the time was uh, was called Zimian, right? So which which is basically just Simian with an X, right? Now you have Mono, which is Spanish for monkey, Zimian, which is you know Simian with an X. And so when they went to start Xamarin. Uh, they were like, oh, you know what? We need another monkey-themed na- uh, name. And so they, they got Tamarin, right? Tamarin Monkey, and they put an X on it. And so, you know, we've got the Darwin Lounge, right? So, you know, we're talking about evolution, uh, monkeys, so on and so forth. So that's, that's, that's kind of the uh, thematic uh, theme there. So when I, was, uh, when I got a chance to go hey. to Darwin Lounge, actually, that was the first time I used one of those um, Oculus Rift. Oh, nice. And I, and I did the roller coaster. You know, like the little toy roller coaster demo they had? Mm-hmm. And you know, 
before I put it on, I was watching other people do it. And I'm like, yeah, why is this guy shaking? Like, what, what's going on, right? And so I put the glasses on, and I, I always felt myself trying to reach for a point of reference. Yes. I mean, like, I try to feel where, where the table was behind me or what was in front of me, because I swear to you I was going to fall over, like, in front of all these people. Yeah, well, you know what? The, uh, the Oculus Rift is, in my opinion, very much a sit-down technology. Uh, you really shouldn't be standing. Yeah, man. But- they had us all standing up, and I was like, okay, I am going to topple over, and all these people are going to laugh at me. Like, let me find the table so I could hold on for balance. Uh, <laughs> I would have laughed at you. I know did you, you Did you get a chance to use the the uh, the Google uh, Cardboard app? Yeah, I, I did the Cardboard thing. That one was pretty cool, too. Nice, nice. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, me and a buddy of mine, Larry, uh, you know, we we saw that, that we had the little uh, Cardboard mini hack. Uh, which of course was Android only, mm-hmm. and we we're like, oh, you know, that's 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 not really fair that iOS doesn't get a chance to play, right? And you know, we're Xamarin, like 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 we're all about cross-platform. Uh, so actually, me and him, uh, we sat down and we actually ended up making uh, an iOS-friendly uh, sort of cardboard hack. We use a Scene Kit uh, and F Sharp, uh, and and it's actually pretty easy to use that API to kind of do like the stereoscopic rendering. Uh, and and actually made a little mini hack for iOS that actually does the head tracking and everything. I think I saw that on your blog. Was that the one where you had um, the scenery and you did it in F Sharp? I think is what you did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because because what had happened is that you know Larry uh, Larry and I had actually done presentation and and as part of that presentation uh, I wrote a little sample which just kind of randomly generated a city, right? And it's you know it's very simple. It's a bunch of uh, a bunch of cubes. With, with with these nice building textures. Uh, and it ended up coming out pretty cool. And so we just took that and then we built on top of it and, and just kind of figured out how to take uh, take the scene kit view and render it onto two separate views from slightly different angles. <laughs> so so how deep have you gotten into F sharp? I remember when we were at Dev Days you were talking about that a little bit. You know what? It's still it's still uh, it's still an area of of uh, learning for me. Uh, I definitely wouldn't call myself an expert because you know, I, I, I really kind of grew up professionally in object oriented programming, right? It's, 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 it's sort of the entire foundation of everything that I learned, right? You learn about classes, object orientation, encapsulation, uh, and all these things, right? And so, uh, when I first started learning F sharp, uh, a lot of the F sharp that I would write pretty much looked like funny looking C sharp, <laughs> right? So like it would, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I would make a class, I'd add some properties to it, I'd make a method, and, you know, and I would just mutate the state to uh, kind of make, make my stuff work. Um, but as, as you kind of learn the nuances of the language, right, you kind of learn, uh, you pick up different functional tricks, uh, and you start to think more functionally. Um, you know, and I think I mentioned this uh, when we were chatting, uh, it really kind of changes changes the way you think, changes the way you program. Um, you know, you start, uh, you start figuring out ways to, to change the way you write algorithms in, in ways that don't rely on all this sort of, you know, global and mutatable state. Um, and, and for me, that's actually been extremely valuable. Uh, I've definitely noticed that the quality of my code has improved. And so it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing for me. It's been on my my learning list for quite a while. I just I just haven't gotten to it. 
Yeah, well, well, more and more, I see a lot of people writing like test frameworks and mm-hmm. you know verification frameworks with it, which I think is, yeah. is pretty interesting. Yeah, you know what? My advice uh, for getting up on it is, uh, you know, two things. One, you definitely need to have a project that that you're actively working on, because um, just kind of you know learning and doing snippets and things like that is not like it's not going to stick, in my opinion. <laughs> right. um, and then the other. The other bit of advice that I have is to uh, be kind to yourself, right? So, so, so what I mean by that is, you know, you're not going to come out the gate writing the best, you know, most functionally pure monads. Uh, it's 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 just not going to work. You know, you have to, you sort of have to retrain your brain, uh, and and that's okay, right? Because because F Sharp is this, you know, beautiful hybrid language, right, where you can do totally object-oriented code, you can do functional code, you can mix them, uh, match them, and and definitely what happened to me and what I've noticed from a lot of other people that learn the language is that they start off writing very imperative, uh, you know, very object-oriented code, and they start refactoring over time, right? They're like, oh, you know what, I can take this loop and refactor it into a map, and, you know, so on and so forth, so. I think the thing what we're seeing is Generally speaking, there's a lot of interest in Xamarin. Right. I find more so. At least a lot of my students are very interested in it. And, sure, um, of course. You know, people that are just because people when they're learning how to program, like they want to see something, mm-hmm. right? And so that 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 means it's either going to be a website or it's going to be a mobile app. Right? That's right. That's like, right. You know, learning to program for me, like when I was learning to program, everything was like on a black and white screen. <laughs> 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 Until you know, you got to we had a user interface class. So my first three years of programming, like intro to programming, algorithms and data structures, object-oriented programming, everything happened on that little black and white terminal. Mm, right. <laughs> right. And, and for people today, like nobody wants to see that. Like that's boring. Yeah. So, so that's where you're wrong because that's where I do all my programming. <laughs> well, exactly. And it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> that's boring. No, it's awesome, dude. Back end, man. It's, it's awesome. It's, it's the best. Someone's got to do it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, do it. But really, I mean, you know, the, the, the phone is in a lot of ways, just the most personal device. I mean, it's it's there, it's with you, you can take it, you can show people what you've built, you can distribute it, you could be like, hey, just download it from the App Store. I mean, you know, where else can you say that? And that's the thing, right? So the backend stuff is interesting to the guys that have been programming for a while. But out of the gate, I want to see something. Like for me, what was interesting when I first wrote anything that resembled code <laughs> was first computer my dad got, and you know, that's when computers came with books. Sure. And there was a book in here about HTML. And I was able to put my name on the browser. Nice. Obviously, very simple H tag kind of thing. But yep. for me, I had never written a lick of code in my life. I didn't know what this was. And I thought that was like the most amazing thing in the world. I'm calling people on the phone. I'm like, dude, you need to come over. Like, you need to see what I just did. I just put my name on the computer, da 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 da. <laughs> Obviously, super trivial. Mm-hmm. But again, for me, that's learning. And I have never done anything like this before. That is ridiculously exciting. Yeah, I still, I still remember, I still remember one of the very first things uh, that I did. This was actually in school. Uh, what grade was this? Um, I don't know. Sometime in this was before middle school, so sometime in elementary school. Crap. I had learned how to make uh, batch files, uh, and so in in the computer, you know, we had some some, some computers in the class. Uh, I went in, and there was some program that uh, we would use to play like some math game or something like that. Uh, and I remember going in and renaming renaming that program and making a batch file with the same name. Uh, and it would, like, it was the dumbest thing, right? It would just kind of, like, uh, echo out 
some things like, uh, oh, you have a virus now or, you know, something like that, or, or I'm <laughs> deleting the hard drive. And, you know, and I tell my friend, I'm like, hey, go, go uh, start this game over here. And he'd try to be like, oh, my God, I broke it. I broke it. <laughs> but that was, you know, just like you're saying, that was one of the first instances of me, you know, making the computer do something. And it, and it was uh, incredibly gratifying. Yeah, I think it's cute how the first thing you did, Cecil, was in HTML. That's adorable. When I started, there was no HTML. There was no web browser. There was no internet. <laughs> hey, man, if it wasn't for GeoCities, I don't think I would have uh, you know, gotten to where I am today. Like, it was a platform, right? And it was free, so it was accessible. Right. And if it hadn't been for the fact that you know I could make things, put it up there, share it with people, I'm not sure that I would have made it as far as I did. I, I think that's incredibly important to be able to give people that are learning that opportunity to experiment. I, I mean, do, do you think that kids these days are having those same opportunities that, that we have? I mean, I know when I first started, we had a blinking cursor. Yes. Right. So essentially, you had to learn how to code to another to uh, run the computer, mm -hmm. um, you know, I guess back in Cecil's day, you know, if you wanted to create a website, you had to create one. There wasn't a website that did it for you. Do you think, you know, kids nowadays have those type of opportunities that, that we had where, hey, if you wanted something, you have to create it as opposed to, well, now I'm just going to set up a blogger.com account or, you know, or whatever and, and be done with it? Well, there's two ways you can look at it. Uh, you know, one is they're not going to be making the same things that we made, you know, our generation, the generation before us. They're not going to, you know, be learning how to write compilers and, you know, such uh, things like that. But, for example, my 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 nieces and nephews, right, they're growing up in in, uh, in a world of ubiquitous Internet. They're growing up in a world of iPads, you know, and iPhones, and connectivity isn't even a question. Like, it's just, like, you're just always connected. Right, it's expectation. Um, yeah, it's expectation. And you might look at that and be like, oh, that's 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 going to cripple them, right? But you know what? I don't see that. Uh, I don't see it that way. I look at it as, you know, almost standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Like, like I remember, and we all have sort of the same, you know, kind of uh, our own version of the or uh, origin story, right? Like, I remember the first family computer that my family got uh, and everything that I learned to do with that and with the kids of, of this coming up generation. I don't know what the future holds, but I'm, I'm really excited to see what their generation is going to do because, you know, they're just going to have a different mindset. Connectivity isn't even going to be a question to them. They're just going to be like, oh, yeah, I'll, of course, I'll build this thing that, you know, talks to these other five services. And yeah, I mean, you're I mean, you're probably right about that. You know, their I guess their HTML is probably their devices, right? Dude, it's. Um, Things, it's, it's things like Minecraft. I mean, you know, my son is 12 and and over the years, I mean, you know, obviously at this point, Minecraft's been out for a couple of years. And some of the things that are like, you know, I I get home and he's like, hey, dad, check out what I did. And, you know, he has this this huge cathedral and he walks up and he, you know, he uh, uh, entices like some some creeper or like a. Uh, a skeleton to like to follow him into his house uh, and it's almost like this you know house of horrors where the creepers setting off booby traps and getting killed and everything and like that might sound morbid but uh it's actually awesome because he had to learn you know he he goes on youtube he watches all these videos of these people building all these crazy contraptions and devices and he's learning things like building logic circuits with you know redstone circuits i mean it's it's insane some of the things that these kids these days are building and it's 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 exciting, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think uh, YouTube has really changed how we learn. I mean, my my kids go, oh, well, at least the one, the older one, she goes on YouTube all the time, and you know, 
to, to do something with uh, sewing or crocheting or mm-hmm. uh, looming or whatever that you know she wants to do and she wants to figure out, she just goes on YouTube, searches a, for a video on it, and then she's off and running. That's right. And it's like, uh, wow. I mean, that's you know what we had to do. We had to, I had to go to the library to get an encyclopedia. Exactly. Right? And exactly. then that wouldn't tell me anything on uh, how to do something cool. So um, I, I think the the democratization of knowledge and showing you how to do it via video and then being able to upload that for everyone in the world to see, uh, that's pretty that's pretty amazing. I know I use exactly. YouTube all the time to 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 figure out how a certain board game works. Some of these board games I play are really intricate and complicated. And the right. rule book, the 16-page rule book, just I, I don't feel like reading rules tonight. So you just you watch a 15-minute video, it's like, oh, okay, and then we just go off and play it. Yeah, and you know, like like a lot of people look at something like YouTube and you know, maybe on the surface, they're like, oh, it's cat videos and it's really dumb. Yeah, I think I think it's really going to be a generational shift and the true effects of things like YouTube. And, and, you know, you know, even if it's not YouTube specifically, just easily accessible online content, Wikipedia, you know, free sharing of information, uh, I think over the course of the next couple of generations is, is really going to change the world. We'd like to thank Joel for being a guest on our show. It was definitely a pleasure speaking with him. Remember to tell your friends about the show and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com or on Twitter at AFTK Podcast. You can also follow me at Cecil Philip and Richie at Jarts. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. You can subscribe to the show via the website or on iTunes. If you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to the newsletter where you'll get extra episodes and behind-the-scenes access to Away From The Keyboard. Next on Away From The Keyboard, we'll have figure skater and software developer Amy Knight. You know, with skating, you peak at such a young age that, you know, by the age of like 18 or so, I was kind of looking for the next thing in life. So I tried a variety of things and ended up in programming and realizing that I really, really enjoyed it. So that's kind of my next passion in life. Bye. Okay, bye. (laughs) Click. We want to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego!
So one quick question, Seth. Do you got a cough drops or something that you know, just in case you're got, or um, tea or something? You know, I got a, I got some. Uh, what's this thing called? Ricola. Ricola. Okay. Whatever that thing's called. Okay. So, so there's there's no um, Caribbean stuff that you have some special uh, well, so, medicine or something. So you know, we generally drink alcohol. So, uh, <laughs> um, so that would be like you know, brandy and honey or you know, brandy lime and honey. Yeah, and you don't even have to uh, yodel when you drink alcohol. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You just, you know, you take a shot, you're done, and uh, you go to sleep. Well, well, I mean, you know, judging from Pirates of the Caribbean, I, I, I think you should be drinking rum, right? I mean, that's the only thing to drink, right? <laughs> that, that, is, that is the drink of choice. You know, every Caribbean country actually makes their own rum. That's right. They all don't export it. But every Caribbean country has their own brand of, of rum. That's right, Dominican yeah. rum. It's good stuff. Yep. Is it is it is it uh, like a, a difference? Can you really taste the difference between like a Dominican rum versus a Jamaican rum versus? I can tell the difference, um, probably because I've had enough of them to, <laughs> to differentiate. But um, so, for instance, yeah. Dave, um, Dave, Dave's our, our buddy Dave. He's from Haiti, and um, he... episode number three. Check it out. Right. And um, he had this rum is called Baban, Babancourt, I think is what it's called. And okay. his rum is very distinct to every any other Caribbean rum that I've tasted. Very different from Bacardi, very different from Mount Gay. Um, in Antigua, we have Cavalier and English Harbor. Like it was all completely different tastes, different levels of spice. Um, yeah, nice. very, very different. Yeah, I'm not much of a drinker, so I really couldn't tell you. <laughs> Yeah, nor I. I don't. I don't drink at all. So yeah, I'm. I'm just lean on these guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. I think it's one of the. I guess it's not. I'm not sad to say, but it's definitely a part of the culture, <laughs> of Caribbean <laughs> culture to drink. I mean, I think alcohol is is even a part of a lot of our recipes. You know, rum cake is is a big right. thing. Um, Christmas cake. Every everybody's Christmas cake is usually you know you soak the fruits in rum, or some type of you know, wine or alcohol. And yeah. typically people will start soaking their fruits from maybe like August. Holy moly, right? And yeah, and they'll, you know, they'll put them in the fridge or put them, you know, at the bottom of their cupboard somewhere and it'll soak all the way down to December. Nice. And now, you know, they're all, <laughs> they're, you know, they're well saturated and uh, now you can make cake out of them. Now the Christmas cakes happen. Nice. So, well, yeah. Well, it, isn't there a point of diminishing returns on soaking? Right, you know, after there's only so much it could actually soak, and so I mean, does it? You need to soak it that long? I mean, well, it depends on how many fruits you have. So if you have a lot of fruits, and also depending on how many cakes you decide to make, right? Like you might you might have bags and bags of fruits. You know, generally when my grandmother would make cakes, she'd make at least like eight cakes. That sounds delicious. Well, because you know, when when it's Christmas time, the holiday time, you know, all of your family's coming over, and if particularly if you have family from overseas that come and visit. So your uncles, your cousins, um, you know, your aunts and uncles that live in the country and out of the country, you know, y your kids, your grandkids, you know, everybody's getting cake, man. So. Yeah, my wife family <laughs> makes this uh, amazing, uh, what's it called? The thing that your mom makes. Pumpkin bread. That's it. <laughs> it's really good. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, it's good stuff. 